0: You're listening to the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Dan Viennes, and we're going to take a look ahead to the Seahawks game against the Arizona Cardinals Sunday. Week six, a home tilt. After two weeks on the road, the Seahawks come back to Lumen Field where their neighbors, the Seattle Mariners, may be playing a playoff game at the same time. So remember, if you have tickets to this game, uh, it's a one o'clock game unless the Mariners win game three against the Houston Astros, in which case the Seahawks will bump kickoff back to 230 just to avoid uh traffic coming in and out of Soto at the exact same time try to stagger things a little bit in, in the event that in the event that happens uh uh yours truly will be going to both games uh be going to the Mariner game when it's over if it's a if the game ends in regulation nine innings uh I, I think I'd get to the CR game before halftime sometime during the second quarter. But look, this is an important game. And the reason I ask if it's must win is because of this. You look at the NFC West and it's all bunched up. The Niners lead the way at 3 and 2, and then everybody else is tied at 2 and 3 right behind them. But here's the scenario. Cardinals and Seahawks play each other twice in the next 4 weeks. Meanwhile, the 49ers get the Falcons this week, and the Rams get the Carolina Panthers who have just fired their head coach Matt Rule. P.J. Walker is going to be starting at quarterback with with Baker Mayfield out. And Sam Darnold still hurt. Uh, Things are a mess uh, for Scott Fitterer, the former Seahawk executive over there in Carolina. And they may be in free fall. uh, And they may be one of those teams that will be drafting and looking for a quarterback ahead of the Seahawks in the draft this year. So when you think about it that way, good chance the Niners and Rams both win this week. So it's incumbent on one of these teams Sunday to win and stay a game behind stay stay close stay you know keep pace in the nfc west if they have any chances to contend Uh, let's take a look at this arizona team because it's interesting it's very interesting and i want to start on defense because i think the bigger discussion is is how they are offensively arizona's always been this team on defense that wreaks havoc right they just cause chaos doesn't matter who the head coach is or who the defensive coordinator is. They just have this organizational philosophy. That's how they want to play defense. They want to have multiple looks. They got a lot of team speed. They got the Apple Cup safety tandem on the back end with Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson. uh, One Husky, one Coup. J.J. Watt up front. Um, They've spent some draft capital. They lost Chandler Jones. They give you a lot of looks. They're aggressive. They blitz. We know that. But how effective are they? Well, you look at one statistical measure, and they're fourth in the league in turnover ratio this year. That would imply that they are still wreaking that kind of havoc. They can really mess with a game plan. They can disrupt an offense. And they're doing it with an old hand up front, J.J. Watt, and then those two guys on the back end. And that's what the Seahawks are keyed on, and that's what they're focused on. And they have a lot of respect for those guys as they look ahead to facing this offense. This is what offensive coordinator Shane Waldron had to say about that group
1: the hardest part about their personnel is they got they're mixing and matching a lot of different fronts you know moving a guys all around uh, you, you can't just say that hey JJ Watt's going to be right here every snap they're doing a good job uh, you know moving him around moving Allen around uh, and those guys create some some good pocket push good good movement up front uh, and then they're still rolling off the edges so then they add the linebackers into the mix so they do a good job of mixing and matching a lot of different variations and speaking of getting guys into third and long they've gotten teams into a lot of lo- those longer yardage situations uh, you know where they're they've created some disruption up front by some of their different blitz patterns and their aggressive nature.
0: Now tuck away that comment that Waldron had about uh, trying to avoid third and long. So we're going to circle back to that in a moment. Gino Smith celebrated a birthday this week. uh, Same as I did. Uh, So uh, Gino's a Libra, just another reason that I'm growing to like him even more and more and knowing that we share the same birthday week. He watched film on his birthday and had a little dinner just in case you're wondering, uh, preparing for this Arizona defense. And his, his here's his outlook as they prepare to face them. Uh,
1: Arizona's got a really good defense, man. Um, you know, obviously it starts with, uh, with Buda Baker and J.J.
0: Watt, uh, two leaders of, of their defense. Those guys are really good. Um, they're, they're sound on defense, present multiple looks, um, you know, can expect to have some new
1: things on that we haven't seen on tape, as always. Um, and so for us, really, it's just about playing our game. We know they're going to present some tough looks, uh, going to be another tough matchup. They have a really good defense, and you know we just got to be ready for that challenge.
0: Interesting comment there about um, showing some things that they haven't shown before. Uh, I'm always fascinated when two teams play in such a short span of time, um, twice in four weeks. Sometimes you get twice in three weeks on the NFL schedule. And it'll be interesting to see four weeks from now you know, what the two teams do differently uh, as far as facing each other. But listen, they talk with all the all due respect about Watt and what, what the Cardinals have on the back end there. But is this your typical Arizona defense? Is it that daunting of a task? Let's look a little deeper into the numbers. They're 18th in the league after five weeks in yards allowed. They're 23rd in the league in points per game at 24.6. Um. Let's look at DVOA. I had it pulled up here. We're going to do it live. Uh, We talked with, uh, Dana and I talked about DVOA the other day. And if if you're not familiar with this stat, uh, this is a stat that's uh, held in high esteem among uh, football analysts, X and O guys, um, and even coaching staffs. If you watch, if you go on the Seahawks YouTube page um, and you watch the Shane Waldron interview, it, a reporter asks him about DVOA because the Seahawks offense is number one in the league in DVOA. Now, what DVOA means, it's it's run by uh, footballoutsiders.com. Tremendous statistical uh, website. You should check it out if you're interested in that aspect of the game. And what it is, they, they literally take every single play and they assign weight to it. How successful that play was given the circumstance. It's all done in context. Um, a five, For instance, on third and seven, an eight-yard gain carries more weight than a five-yard gain because it gains you a first down. So it's about efficiency, defensive value over average. It's about how efficient you are on each and every play. And as you compile it over a long sample size over the course of a season, it generally lines up very accurately with team standings. And I, I say this all the time when I reference this, but the Seahawks between 2012 and about 2014 were number one overall in the NFL in, in DVOA. Certainly on defense, they were. Um, They rate offense and defense, and then they give you an overall score. And right now, uh, just for reference, the Seahawks are 10th in overall DVOA in the league. They're number one in offense, number 31 in defense. That's how good the offense has been. They have it rated as 21.3% better than average in the NFL. If you're a baseball fan, it's similar to WRC plus where it's all weighted. And then it's, it's against the average. The idea being that if a team is higher in the, in the DVOA rankings than another team, more often than not, they're going to beat that team. Um, And I thought this was interesting. And I meant to mention it with Dana the other day, and I did not. Um, (laughs) The Seahawks are 10th in the league in DVOA. There is only one team, two teams, that they have left on their schedule that have a better DVOA than them. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at four and San Francisco at five overall. Now, for reference, Arizona, let me scroll down. Is it 26 overall? Okay. 23rd on offense and 26th on defense. And this is fascinating to me. When you talk about the Arizona Cardinals and you think about them on offense, what do you think about? It's Kyler Murray, right? Number one pick in the draft. I mean, the Cardinals moved on from Josh Josh Rosen, who they had taken 10th the year before, to take Kyler Murray first overall. Now, that move has proven to be very prudent. Josh Rosen is even in the league anymore. And then in the offseason, they hitched their wagons to Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury guy coming from the air raid in college, known as an offensive guru, one of the young up and coming offensive minds, right? Signed Kyler Murray to a new $230 million deal. So they committed to him and signed Cliff King clings, Cliff Kingsbury. My goodness, it is early to an extension through 2027. So it's, they've, they've made their call. They're, They've gone to bed with these two guys. The results this year haven't been great. They haven't been great, as we mentioned. When you look at statistically where they rank in the league. How's Kyler Murray been? And and I'm on record as saying, I've said it on this show already, and I've talked about it at length on the Emerald City Sportscast. Never been a big Kyler Murray fan. I think he's flashy. He's flashy. I don't think he's consistent, and I don't like the things that I see from him as a leader. And, th- and there have been reports out of the Arizona area for for the last couple of years now that there are some issues in the locker room. And you see it on the field. Calls guys out all the time. He's just been okay this year. 65% completion rate, 1,200 yards, six touchdowns, three interceptions. As a runner, 28 rushes for 133 yards, two touchdowns. His passer rating, we know Geno Smith, the number one rated passer in the NFL right now, right? Kyler Murray is a passer. His rating, 84.3, 20th in the NFL. That's what $230 million has gotten him. Behind guys like Cooper Rush, Daniel Jones, Jacoby Brissett. The offense that's supposed to be so dynamic, 15th in the league in total yards, 18th in the league in points per game at 21 and here's the thing that's so surprising about him similar to what we're seeing on, on defense they're not making dynamic plays they're not getting explosive plays they have their longest pass play this year 30 yards their longest running play this year 30 yards We know they're missing DeAndre Hopkins, serving the last game of his suspension, so he will be back for the next matchup with the Seahawks. And they're going to be missing James Conner. They're, they're a really good starting running back. Uh, Emo Benjamin's going to be taking his place. They've relied in the passing game on Marquise Brown, the offseason trade with the Baltimore Ravens, and Zach Ertz. So the Seahawks are going to be, once again, tasked with trying to do a little bit better job than they did against T.J. Hawkinson and covering a tight end. Ertz with 28 catches, 229 yards, and two touchdowns on the season. Brown has kind of reinvented himself, known as the home run guy, Hollywood Brown, the deep threat with the Ravens. He was kind of an all-or-nothing player there with Lamar Jackson. More of a possession guy in this offense. 38 catches, 417 yards, three touchdowns, a long of 26. So it's an interesting matchup where the Seahawks should be able to to score. That offense coming off two back-to-back games where they average 40 points a game. Both those games on the road. New Orleans a good defense. Coming home now, healthy on offense. Uh, Gabe Jackson isn't going to play. Most likely he's questionable at right guard. Phil Haynes will step in for him. Um. And then I want to get to a couple other things that, that Waldron said. Uh, he mentioned earlier about we don't want to get into third and longs against these guys because that's when they pin their ears back and come after us, although the Seahawks offensive line has done a nice job in pass protection. So how do you combat that? How do you avoid third and longs? You run the football. And we just talked about how healthy, healthy the Seahawks are on offense, except for Rashad Penny being out. He had uh, surgery this week on that ankle. Uh, they say it's a four month rehab. So you should be able to make a full recovery. Um, doctors liked what they saw when they got in there and took care of it. There were some things that uh, they were worried about that, that turned out not to be an issue. Um, And we'll have a conversation later on. We talked about it a little bit the other day, Dana and I about, you know, maybe he does come back coming off this injury. Maybe he doesn't have the market maybe he signs another one year deal, but that's, that's a conversation for another day. Now it's Kenneth Walker's ball to tote. And uh, we've heard Pete Carroll sing this guy's praises since they took him in the second round of the draft. Then he got hurt in the preseason, got banged up a little bit, wasn't 100%. Came in for pending last week, had the the 60-plus yard touchdown run. We know how dynamic he can be, the Doak Walker award winner, uh, here's what Shane Waldron had to say about Kenneth Walker.
1: Yeah, I just think the more reps he gets, you know, he's, he's, he's a, a rookie that's uh, now, you know, had to miss some time at the end of camp. So now he's accumulating a lot of those reps. Uh, and then the more game reps he gets, I think the better and better he'll become uh, as, as the action uh, slows down. Because he has, like we've talked about, he's got all the skill in the world. Uh, and he's done a great job of, of working hard and, and really understanding the offense. So just excited to see him get, as he gets more and more opportunities, he'll continue to grow as a player.
0: So really could see his coming out party on Sunday. He'll certainly get plenty of touches. Uh, DJ Dallas will be his primary backup. Um Travis Homer, if you remember, still injured. Um and then um might have to lean on a newcomer in certain situations. Tony Jones signed off the New Orleans Saints practice squad. Um has had some significant moments with them and and some touches. Um was inactive for the last couple of couple of games though and and the Seahawks were able to snipe him off their practice squad. Um, big physical runner, 5'11, 225. Carroll talked about his all-around game. He's he's pretty good catching the ball and he's a real uh, physical tough runner. Uh similar offensive run scheme Tony Jones talked about this week and they might have to get they might have to use him. You know, if they have to go to a third back, he might get to play. Let's talk about another newcomer. Because as we talk about the Seahawks struggling defense trying to turn things around. Going up going up against an Arizona offense that hasn't really gotten on track, right? We talked about all the numbers. Kyler Murray hasn't been consistently efficient. The running game without James Conner. They're missing some weapons on the outside. They just got their um, second-year player, Rondale Moore, who they had big hopes for. um, Real shifty slot receiver. Uh, He had five or six targets last week. Hasn't really been involved in the game plan. Greg Dortch has had his moments. um, But really it's Zach Ertz and Marquise Brown. And so as the Seahawks try to turn things around defensively, facing this team at home, What have the problems been? Tackling? They haven't really been getting after the quarterback, and they haven't been setting the edge, right? A lot of those big plays, especially we saw it last week against Taysom Hill, poor tackling and poor edge setting on defense. So the Seahawks turned to an old friend this week. Earlier this week, they signed Bruce Ervin to the practice squad. Bruce Ervin, 34 years old now. Seahawks first-round draft pick in 2012. 52 career sacks, 64 tackles for loss, 16 forced fumbles in his career. Uh, But it's been a tough couple of years for Bruce Irvin. Last time he registered a sack, 2019, when he had eight and a half with the Carolina Panthers. And then he came back for his second tour with the Seahawks. There was a lot of excitement about adding him to that front seven. And then uh, in the first game, he tore his ACL. Missed that entire season. Came back last year. Played six games with the Bears. Seven tackles, zero sacks. So he hasn't, again, had a sack since 2019. But remember, Sean Desai, um, associate head coach and and uh, works with uh, Clint Hurt on the defense, worked in Chicago last year, was their defensive coordinator. So he's familiar with Bruce, as Pete Carroll is, certainly. Um, when he was signed, and Dana and I talked about this, I didn't know what to think. Like, we don't know what the guy has left in the tank. Really didn't make an impact with the Bears last year. Coming off a serious knee injury. And I didn't realize until um, Irvin stepped to the podium this week that uh, his first surgery on that ACL in Seattle was not successful. He actually, the term he used, he said the doctor messed it up. They had to go back into another procedure. So you wonder at his age what he has left in the tank. Well, he feels like he has plenty left in the tank. And that's why he jumped at the chance, even though his phone did not ring all off season.
1: No you call. would have thought my phone was on Do Not Disturb. It was it was it was it was very depressing, you know. Uh you know, because you know, I, I'm at a point where I don't need football. You know, I'm. I've won the Super Bowl, I've played good, you know, I got my money, I took care of my money. So for me it's like just proving that, you know, I still can play. You know, if if I couldn't move. You know, and feel like I couldn't play at a high level. I wouldn't be in here wasting y'all time. I wouldn't waste my time because I feel like my face card means everything. So, um, just just me just trying to stay ready and just motivate myself. Just uh, just when that time came, being prepared. Um, and thank God, you know, Pete and them reached out to me, and uh, you know, I packed a big old bag. My wife was like, "Why are you packing your bag so big?" I said, "Baby, I ain't coming back." You know, so uh, it worked out, and uh, I'm here with y'all.
0: So he's confident. Says he feels good. He's in great shape. Uh, Carol said he's looked good. Um, you know, Carol kind of hedged and hemmed and hawed about this week, but man, they might need him at least in a limited role. Because one thing that's underrated about Bruce Irvin, uh, as his career progressed and he progressed and developed as a player, you know, when he was drafted, he was seen as just a pass rush specialist. He was he was overdrafted. He was a reach. He wasn't supposed to go that high because he was undersized and he was just a speed rusher on the outside. Um he's become a, a really good run defender and a guy who can set the edge. And Daryl Johnson, we know is out and he was getting a lot of play there. Um And, and the Seahawks are trying to minimize D- Daryl Taylor's snaps because he just hasn't, hasn't set that edge boy. Mafe has, has done a little better job and he's gotten some more snaps in Terrell's place, but he's a rookie. So we may see Irvin on Sunday, you know, they can only elevate two practice squad players and, and, um, And so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Again, the Seahawks are, they're in a division race. You know, you can say what you want about how bad the defense is, but the last two weeks, it's been the best offense in the league. And by many statistical measures, Geno is playing uh, as well or better than anyone in the league. There's some early MVP voting talk around Geno Smith. I think we're, we're, we've gotten to the point, haven't we, after seeing what they did in New Orleans against that defense on the road last week that we kind of know this offense is going to move the ball and score points. The only time they haven't was against San Francisco in the second half against the Bronco game. And so, you know, yet another week. And again, we've hardly talked about Gino today. And I think for good reason, I think he's earned a pass. But Let's not kid ourselves. He's, he's been a backup for seven or eight years. This is his first real opportunity to do this. So each and every week for him is a test. But I feel pretty darn good that this offense is going to score points tomorrow, especially given how Arizona's defense has played. So how can the defense do, right? Can they? Uh, can that secondary continue uh, to do the job they've been doing with Tariq Wolin? And we'll see who starts on the left side. Sydney Jones was starting to get some more snaps, but we saw Mike Jackson a little bit more last week. Not really sure what's going on with Jones in relation to how that coaching staff views him. Interesting, cuz he was the best corner on that team last year and really was playing well. Second half of last year, gosh, I think he was, you know, top top 10 in the league in PFF grade and um, so if they can continue to cover on that back end and tackle a little bit better, make a little bit more progress be a little bit better up front against the run against a depleted team. You you kind of feel like they have to win this one. If we want to keep talking about staying in the race, especially when you look ahead to the schedule, there's some tough ones coming up. Um, That's going to do it for, for me today, but I want to end on this. Um, I say this at the end of every show, we would love for you to subscribe to the show. That way you get notifications. Anytime there is a new episode, we would love for you to obviously listen to the show and then comment You know, you can follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Uh, Actually, while I'm doing these live streams in conjunction with recording the audio version of the podcast, you can comment through any of the platforms you're watching, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, and it shows up live right here. I can respond to your comment on the air. We love that. Um, But also review. Uh, Some of the podcast platforms have a little bit more user-friendly review system than others, uh, but the vast majority of you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Um if you like the show, if you like what Dana does, if you like what I do. Um if you have some constructive criticism. Uh we would love a review because it, at any time you subscribe or review the show, it just, you know, everything's algorithm based now, right? It really helps the show, helps us get better placement, helps us get a little better visibility. Got our first review since uh since we changed over. Uh since Brandon Schultz handed the reins over to myself and dana and here's the review courtesy of scott in the 503 it's a one star i didn't know y'all were gonna tank like the seahawks you went from your best host brandon since danny kelly accurate to a silly hashtag twitter hot take man who doesn't seem to understand the game of football do better I just have one thing to say to that. It's my first bad review. I have finally arrived. I am somebody. So on that note, that's going to do it for me. I am Dan Vienz, your Twitter, your silly Twitter hot take, man. I'll be back with you after the game tomorrow to break down uh, Seahawks Cardinals and look ahead to week seven got some cool guests lined up over the next few weeks stay tuned for that in the meantime take care of yourselves go hawks